Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. If you text the word data, D-A-T-A, to 33777, I will send you back a series of links. The last one is the important one. It is my daily newsletter, my daily Substack. Uh, I do a Substack newsletter, and I give a lot of it away just generally. And then there are select portions. You got to be a paid subscriber, but the bulk of it, I give it to everybody, and you don't have to pay. Uh, show clips, monologues, special interviews, things like that. Uh, that that's what you get if you pay extra. Um, you can see videos of the show and stuff like that. You don't have to though. Uh, but I wrote about the Biden administration's efforts to gaslight the public on inflation. It is happening. I want to get to that. But before I do, I have to talk about something related. I'm going to play you a clip. This is Joy Reid, uh, who is not a very bright person, who is on MSNBC, who is talking about uh, redistricting efforts in the state of Georgia. We also see Republicans trying to gerrymander their way into far more seats than they deserve based on the demographics and the census results. As of now, it's basically an apartheid democracy in Georgia, where yesterday the Republican-controlled Senate passed a new map giving Republicans nearly 60% of the seats, even though the Democrats won the state with a nearly even partisan split in 2020. And if somehow Democrats are able to overcome all of that and win, Republicans are setting themselves up to simply reverse those victories by allowing themselves to put their people in charge of elections, especially in places with a lot of black and brown voters like Fulton County, Georgia. Oh, good grief. Do you know uh, in Georgia last year, you, you would know this if you were an MSNBC watcher. In Georgia last year, Republicans won 55% of the vote for state Senate seats. 55% of the vote. You wouldn't know that if you listen to Joy Reid on MSNBC, who thinks it's an apartheid state. Now, Joy Reid, along with a number of the folks at MSNBC, they are race hustlers. All they know is race. As Hispanic and black voters leave the Democratic Party, it becomes even more absurd, the histrionics of these Democrats. They cannot explain what's going on in the world except through a racial lens. Martin Luther King said to uh, judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And these Democrats, Joy Reid and the like, they are failing Martin Luther King's vision for America because they can only judge people by the color of their skin. And it has become a highly profitable business. I believe it was last week Ibram Kendi noted the number of white kids who fraudulently claim to be non-white kids to get scholarships to colleges. And he deleted the tweet when people pointed out that undermines his claims that this is a racist country. Why would white kids pretend to be non-white to get into college if uh, the colleges were propping up white supremacy? He deleted the tweet, couldn't defend it. He, he tried to do a ha ha ha, you, you, you took me out. Let me, let me try to do some damage control here, but they caught him. Ibram Kendi has made a ton of money peddling racial theories to placate the sensitivities of white progressives. 
I mean, the fact of the matter is, you want to talk about racism, it's the white people hiring Ibram Kendi and patting him on the head and throwing him some bones. I mean, the dude is invested in a system of white patriarchy. They're the ones who subsidize his existence by telling all the other people in America that they're the racists. Or Robin D'Angelo, the white woman who peddles racial theories and makes a boatload of money telling white people how racist they are. White people of a particular type love to be told that they're racist, and by buying these books, they absolve themselves, and it's the other hicks and rubes who are the racists. Well, there's a problem, and it is a growing problem. It was white Republicans who supported Bobby Jindal for governor of Louisiana. Back in 2007, uh, Bobby Jindal ran. He had run before, and Kathleen Blanco, the governor of Louisiana, ran uh, a campaign where she referred to him by his Indian given name, Payush Jindal, and they darkened his skin color and got Democrats to vote for Blanco. It was a deeply racist campaign by Democrats, and the media turned a blind eye to it. And then he won, and it was Republicans who got Bobby Jindal elected. In, in South Carolina in 2010, it was Nikki Haley, an Indian American. Tim Scott is the senator from South Carolina, represents the state where the first shots of the Civil War were fired. He's a black Republican. Tim Scott, interestingly enough, was asked about his views on race and said this. And Senator Jim DeMent says, I'm gonna retire right away. Right. Governor Nikki Haley has to quickly fill that spot. Yes. Um, I found myself in a position I had never even dreamt of being, becoming a United States Senator for the great state of South Carolina. I never even dreamed that that was possible. And the historic nature of you being named as an African-American in South Carolina, does, does, what, what role does that have in you saying, I, I have to, make the most of this? Well, I think I'm, I think I'm burdened by history uh, in many ways, meaning that so many times the conversation starts off about the first African-American senator from the South. Blessing and curse at the same time. I, my theory is I'm not called to serve black people. I'm just called to serve Americans. I think it is, it says a lot about our country and it says a lot about South Carolina, that they chose me and then elected me to be their senator. I like talking about the evolution of the Southern heart because the state I live in is not the state that my grandfather was born in, not the state that my mother was born in, even though both are called South Carolina. This South Carolina is different. We have evolved so much in so little time right. that access to real opportunity, being judged by your character and not your color, right. is my reality. Amen to Tim Scott. Which, by the way, him saying that gets him attacked by the left, by the race hustlers of the left, who profit off of racial division in this country. But the American public is moving beyond it. And as they do, you will notice it's getting more shrill and more hysterical. Which leads me to this from the website 538. In Virginia last Tuesday, Virginians elected the first black lieutenant governor female Marine, Winsome Sears. They also elected the first Hispanic attorney general in Virginia. And this is from 538 from Hakeem Jefferson. Why white voters 
with racist views often still support black Republicans? Can white voters who back a black candidate still hold racist beliefs and views? The question has come to the fore in the wake of Glenn Youngkin's gubernatorial victory in the bluish state of Virginia. Conservatives were quick to counter claims that Youngkin's win represented the effectiveness of stoking racial fears with results from Virginia's down-ballot election for lieutenant governor, a contest where the Republican candidate Winsome Sears made history by becoming the first black woman elected to statewide office in Virginia. But of course, they go on to conclude that yes, white racists will vote for black candidates. Ironically, in Virginia, it was the non-racists supporting the governor who was either in a Klan outfit or blackface. That, that too, the Democrats, makes sense. Let me just skip the whole article. There's, there's no reason to read in depth. Let's, let's get down to the last part. The role of race and racism play in American politics is much more nuanced than simplistic defenses suggest. When racially prejudiced whites oppose black candidates, it's not just because of the candidate's skin color. It is also because they perceive, sometimes wrongly, that the black candidates, especially black Democrats, have ideological commitments that are at odds with the interests of white Americans. Likewise, when racially prejudiced whites support black Republicans, it's hardly the case that they've become progressive on race. Racially prejudiced whites did not vote for Sears because they appreciate her attachment and commitment to black people. They were willing to support her because they discounted it. Race, after all, is a social construct. It has meaning because we imbue it with meaning. Racially prejudiced whites are not hostile to blackness per se. They are hostile to particular manifestations of blackness, one that reflects a commitment to racial justice and the advancement of the group's collective goals. Racially prejudiced whites are not bothered much by a manifestation of blackness that is ideologically consistent with their own identities and attitudes. In other words... White people are happy to vote for black people that don't disrupt white supremacy. That's what this guy is claiming. The reality is that the Democrats have so woven race and racism into American politics in ways conservatives have not, that if you do not vote for the Democratic Party, you are presumed to be racist. So if you are a black person who runs as a Republican, you are propping up white supremacy. If you are a black person who runs as a Democrat, you are propping up racial harmony. They, they have so bottled up race and racism and tied it inexplicably and inappropriately woven it into the fabric of the political parties that you are a white supremacist if you are a black person and a Republican. Hakeem Jefferson, you will not be surprised to learn, is a professor. He's a professor at Stanford University where he is affiliated with the Center for Comparative Studies of Race and Ethnicity. He's an expert on race and identity in American politics. In other words, he is a professional race hustler. As this country moves beyond its racist past, and there was a lot of racism in the past in this country, you might as well admit it. It's true. And as we move further and further from it and are less and less concerned with race, people like Hakeem Jefferson are more likely to be out of a job. People like Ibram Kendi will not be able to make a living. People like Robin D'Angelo will not be able to sell books. As we move towards a future with greater racial harmony, 
the race hustlers have to scream louder and be even more belligerent in order to keep making money. That's what's going on here. The United States elected its first black president, a historic milestone, and it is not a coincidence that the screaming and crying and bellyaching about race got louder and louder after than before. Because we are progressing to a better future where people are less concerned with race and racism. And so those people who have for years peddled the idea that demography is destiny and America is racist, they've got to scream even louder because they cannot acknowledge they were wrong. They cannot acknowledge that we're moving to a better future. It is something to note in younger and younger generations, the younger kids get these days, the less focused on race they are. And as a result, in some schools, in some societies, in in some parts of the country, there is a greater emphasis on browbeating these kids about race so that the white kids always feel oppressor and the black kids always feel oppressed so there can be no racial reconciliation so we can keep the divides in this country festering so these people can continue to make money. It is a cynical business. And they are the chief cynics profiting off racial strife in this country as we continue to progress towards a future where we do fulfill Martin Luther King's vision of judging people by the content of our character, not the color of our skin. And if we actually get there, these people will be out of work. So they're doing their damnedest to make sure we never get there. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Chris Hayes of MSNBC is the latest to suggest that maybe all the diversity, equity, inclusion training corporations are forcing upon their employees isn't actually grounded in much of anything. You know, as as I was coming back, I lost track of, of the time and was about to put up a tweet that one of the few upsides of Twitter is how easy it is now to expose the intellectual betters of the left to be idiots. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones is on Twitter arguing on this Veterans Day that Americans dropped the bomb on Japan when we knew they were going to surrender because they'd spent all the money developing the nuclear bomb and wanted to prove it was worth it. This is the person Democrats turn to for history. And, and, you know, if you listen to Ibram Kendi, for example, try to define what it means to be racist and anti-racist. Dude has no idea. He just makes up for it. It's word salad time. The the corollary of the his, uh, holistic systemic approach to racism is the corollary corresponding coefficient to the non-racist actions to diffuse and mitigate and necessitate the negative of racism is anti-racism. You're like, what was that? It was gobbledygook. It was, it's like, you know, the game people play now when you, 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 so you use, if you have an iPhone or, or I think an Android device will do it, but they're inferior. So I don't play with them. Uh, you, so you, you open up like messenger or email and you, it suggests words. So for example, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to open this up. Uh, I, I will send my producer an email and I will start it. I have to get a new one for the next week and I don't want to do it again tomorrow, but 
I told what to do it again today. Wow, it's it's word salad time. That's Ibram Kendi when he tries to explain anti-racism and racism. It's it's Nicole Hannah Jones when she tries to explain history. They're literally just pushing the first word choice on the iPhone. And the left is like, oh my gosh, it's genius. I can't understand it, so it must be good. This reminds me, you know what it does remind me of? Historically, the Gnostics. It is Gnosticism, by the way. So Gnosticism essentially is a, a religious claim. Scientology is Gnosticism. That there is a special insight that can be acquired if you will follow along with these guidelines that the superficial knowledge everyone else has actually has a deeper, higher meaning. And if you will follow along, join the group, buy the pamphlets, go through the, the Xenu testing, you'll get the special hidden insight into the world that no one else has. And that's that's what Hannah Nicole or Nicole Hannah Jones and, and Ibram Kennedy and the like do. If you will buy their materials and pay them a bajillion dollars to come speak to your group, you will get the special insight into the way the world works that no one else really can understand or appreciate without you paying them money to teach you. It's Gnosticism. And the world is full of Gnostics these days in so much of what we do. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Waiting patiently is Mark out there. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on. I want to bring the idea to the state of Georgia, all the voters, that we want to speak up and actually say to a representative out there, we want term limits on the House and Senate. And we would like a referendum brought to the state of Georgia where we can vote on it. We, the people, and say we want this for our state and maybe other states will follow suit. And that's how we get term limits on the House and Senate because they're not going to do it themselves. You know, so we have to do it statewide and we have to do it through our referendums and change our state constitution. Yeah, you know, you I'm. I've long time thought and argued that, you know, we, we've got elections, so just, just vote them out of office. The problem, however, is you've got a, uh, the deck is so stacked against uh, challengers. Uh, they are stacked against challengers for uh, money. They're stacked against challengers with the lobbyist community. They're stacked against challengers with ballot access. I'm more and more growing on the idea of term limits. Now, personally, at the federal level, I would term limit the uh, the, the the staff, uh, not the not the congressman. But I think that it's probably time for us to try to consider well, some term limits here in Georgia uh, for and, and maybe take, take it larger at, than that. Go ahead. Let's take a look at how well this has been working out for us so far. We've had so many congressmen and senators that have been in there for 30 plus years. Yeah. It's amazing when you go on Google and look it up. It's a whole list that's been going on for decades now. And so to say that voting them out is going to help evidently doesn't because history repeats it right there. So to put term limits on them to where they have no choice but to leave one, uh, one term, four years, you're out. If you can't get your job done in four years, you're horrible. You need to leave anyway. 
I'm I'm growing in this position, and and again, Mark, for for a long time, I was very much just vote them out. But it, they've stacked the deck so hard, it's virtually impossible to vote them out. Um, they have a corner on the money, they have a corner on the lobbyists, they have a corner on the capital, they have a corner on the ballot. Uh, that they in many states, the incumbents get to take uh, the lead spot on the ballot in their race. So yeah, I'm I'm rapidly there. Maybe we need an experiment in Georgia. It's it's so frustrating. Uh, it is now. I got to move on to uh, the controversial. Well, it shouldn't be a controversial topic of the day. I want to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse, who is on trial. My suspicion is he's going to be found not guilty, but maybe not. I could be surprised. The jury could be afraid that they're going to burn the place down if they find him not guilty. You know, by the way, in uh, New York, the Black Lives Matters folks are out saying that there will be bloodshed. That's their word, bloodshed, if the new mayor, who is black, uh, cracks down on crime in New York City. Absurd. He needs to. Uh, don't be held hostage by these people. And that gets me to the, the Rittenhouse situation. In Wisconsin, if you recall, Kyle Rittenhouse and his mother headed to Wisconsin during the Black Lives Matters and Antifa riots where poor old Kenosha, Wisconsin, was being burned to the ground by a mob of angry rioters. And the news media kept saying it was a mostly peaceful protest, uh, even as they were burning small businesses and looting. And Rittenhouse took it upon himself, along with others, to go to Wisconsin to supplement law enforcement there and to try to keep the place safe and to protect small businesses. There are a lot of people saying Rittenhouse had no business being there, but uh, the truth of the matter is that if Antifa and Black Lives Matters had the right to be there, so did Kyle Rittenhouse. He had the right to be there. I don't think he should have. I don't think Kyle Rittenhouse should have gone. I don't think his mother should have encouraged him to go. At the same time, why did he go? That's important. He went because of a cataclysmic failure of law enforcement. Kyle Rittenhouse would have never felt the need to go protect other people had the people charged with protecting other people done their job. In fact, local law enforcement, you will recall at the time, was thanking those people who came in to help them because they were outnumbered. Kyle Rittenhouse went because of a failure of the system. He should not have gone, I don't think. I don't think he should have. But I understand why he went. There are a lot of people out there who are saying that he had no business being there. Well, you know what? The rioters had no business being there either. And if they were there, he gets to be there. And all of that is ancillary to the question of did he defend himself? One of the people he shot and killed was a pedophile. It's actually apparently not in dispute. And I didn't, I think I forgot that at the time or didn't realize it. Uh, One of the men who died uh, had actually raped a uh, young boy, I believe it was. Those are the facts. Tucker Carlson referenced this on his program last night. One of the people killed was not a nice person. Now, that doesn't mean the person deserved to die, but that person was trying to kill Kyle Rittenhouse, it seems. One of the people bashing him in the head with a skateboard. In fact, the the DA asked Kyle Rittenhouse if one of the people he killed had a skateboard and 
Hal said, yes. He was bashing me in the head with it when I shot him. It's clear from his reaction in court he did not want to kill people. In fact, a multiple videos from multiple angles came out, and, and members of the media actually used security camera footage at one point to show Rittenhouse. He, he really was trying to stand up harm's way. There was a building that was on fire, and he rushed to try to put out the fire to save the business. And he wound up killing people. They were firing at him, one of them beating him in the head with a skateboard. The, the, the sad thing here is that it came to this. And that's part of the, the situation here. The, the left is very angry at the judge for stepping. The, the prosecutor is an idiot. Uh, the prosecutor, I, I've, I've never seen a prosecution like this. This is the most bizarre prosecution. Uh, the, the, the level of questioning of, of Rittenhouse, how they questioned several of the witnesses was completely unprofessional. But the left, you can tell, they've decided the fix is in for Rittenhouse and they're mad at the judge. It's the first time I remember progressive activists being upset uh, and prosecutor do what he wants, which tells you everything you need to know about how they perceive the trial going. The anger comes from what Rittenhouse did. No, not the murders. That's that's not why the left is angry at Kyle Rittenhouse. That, that, that's the, the precipitating event for their rage, but their rage is deeper than that. The rage is because Kyle Rittenhouse showed up to stop progressive activists from burning a city down. We should not be angry at Kyle Rittenhouse, but at those who felt it was their right to burn down a city. And we should all be upset at the governing officials who were going to let it happen because they were going to let it happen. The police were completely outnumbered and the police could not intervene because their hands were tied behind their backs. We're dealing with this in the city of Atlanta. In Atlanta, the mayor of Atlanta has forbidden police chases. Consequently, criminals in Atlanta know that if they drive with reckless abandon, they can get away with their crime. Now we have a phenomenon in the middle of the night where street racing is taking place, where people are racing each other down major thoroughfares in Atlanta, knowing the police are not allowed to stop them because they will be punished by the mayor. An eight-year-old was gunned down in Atlanta because the mayor of Atlanta allowed the mob, the Black Lives Matter Antifa mob, to take over a Wendy's parking lot where Rashard Brooks was killed by a police officer. Rashard Brooks was a man who fell asleep drunk in the Wendy's drive-thru. The police got him out of the drive-thru. When they tried to take him to jail, he had a prior record. Uh, he became violent, gave one of the police officers a concussion, shoved him down, uh, grabbed his taser, took off, turned to fire the taser at the other police officer who shot and killed him. Now that police officer is being charged with murder, and he has no business being charged with murder. He did his job. But the mayor decided the police were bad and they let the, the, the mob take over the Wendy's and make one of those 
zones where no one's allowed to go except them. And a woman with her daughter tried to turn around to the parking lot of this so-called autonomous zone, and they opened fire on her and killed the eight-year-old. Because the politicians forced the police to abdicate their duties. In Wisconsin, they forced the police to abdicate their duties. And the woke mob of angry social justice warriors of Antifa and Black Lives Matter began rioting in the streets and burning down businesses, and a boy from a neighboring state was horrified by what he saw, and he decided to go with a group of people to put a stop to it. I don't think they should have, but I understand why they wanted to. And I understand that they would not have had the police's hands not been tied. And I remember the police being grateful they were there to help. And that's why the left is so mad at Kyle Rittenhouse. That's why they want him to burn. Because he did what the progressive politicians told the police they were not allowed to do. He defended small businesses and he defended a city. Tragedy happened as a result, not because of his defense, but because he was set upon and attacked by the mob and he defended himself. I don't think he should have ever been put in that position. But I understand him wanting to do it. And I don't think you can say he had no business being there when it was the mob that had no business being there and it was the politicians who had no business telling the police to cease and desist stopping the mob. And it was the media who tried to tell us all, standing in front of the burning buildings, that it was a mostly peaceful protest when it was certainly not. The level of lying and revisionism and apologizing for an angry progressive mob destroying lives and saying, well, it's not violence because it's just property. That's what's going on at the time, remember? They were saying it wasn't really violence because no one got hurt. It was just they were burning down their businesses and depriving them of their livelihood. That's not violence. They got insurance. When you have that level of insanity, you have a few sane people who decide, oh, I got to put a stop to this. And he's dealing with fallout and it's going to haunt him for the rest of his life. And I don't think he should be found guilty. I have watched all of those videos and I have kept up with this trial as much as I can. And, and I do think it was self-defense. And I think it is uh, appalling to watch progressives who never support the prosecution. They want this kid prosecuted and, and put under the jail for defending his life and defending the property of others that the woke mob is very mad they didn't get to burn down because he stood between them and the building. I just think it's deeply unfortunate that a boy, and he's a boy, felt he needed to take that stand because government, the government that's supposed to protect us from the mob and the tyranny and the violence, government itself failed. And if the government keeps failing, there's going to be more of these situations. And so all the progressives who are angry with him need to understand he did what he did because the taxpayers' taxes went to fund a system of law enforcement to protect them, and that system collapsed because the politicians made it collapse. 
And the politicians stood with the mob and the rioters and the people burning down the buildings. And into that fray, Kyle Rittenhouse entered and lives were lost. And his life will be fundamentally forever changed. But I don't think it makes him the bad guy here. Don't think it does at all. Oh, my. Wow. This is from CNN. Today is Veterans Day. This is from CNN. We thank soldiers for their service because they devote themselves to protecting our freedoms. And we should. But we should also thank the media for the same reason, especially when the stakes have never been higher. Holy moly. Um, there is there is no self-awareness in the American press corps anymore these days. You know, there's there's never there's never any self-awareness in the Biden administration either. Um, this is the Biden administration trying to justify a multi-trillion dollar Build Back Better program that is going to cause inflation, according to all the experts. We take inflation very seriously. Economists call all these things transitory effects. These one-time increases in prices are likely to, to have only transitory effects on inflation. There will be transitory impacts uh, in uh, as it relates to inflation. I believe it's transitory. A temporary or transitory impact. In the end, it, it will be transitory. These inflation uh, rises will be transitory, that they will come back down next year. Inflation is going to come down next year. Inflation will come down next year. Talk of inflation. The overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. People fully expect this inflation to be uh, uh, temporary. There's nobody suggesting there's unchecked inflation on the way. No serious economists. The president's Build Back Better agenda as a whole will ease some of that inflationary pressure. The bipartisan infrastructure deal and Build Back Better agenda could likely ease inflationary pressures. It will ease longer-term inflationary pressures. We're going to ease inflationary pressure. I don't think that these investments will drive up inflation at all. Build Back Better will not increase inflation. The overall Build Back Better vision uh, is designed to reduce inflationary pressures. I have 17 Nobel laureates in economics sent me a letter recently saying that my proposals would actually reduce inflation. 17 Nobel laureate economists said that if we pass both of these plans, we would reduce inflation. 17 Nobel laureates in economics said it's going to lower inflation. 17 Nobel Prize winners in economics. 17 Nobel Prize winning economists. 15, 17 Nobel laureates. A total of... Uh, 14, I think it was 14, Nobel laureate economists. Since it is paid for, it would not uh, increase inflation. Wages have gone up higher, faster than inflation. Monthly rates of inflation have already fallen substantially. If we pass the other two things I'm trying to get done, we will in fact reduce inflation. Reduce inflation. Reduce inflation. By the way, the Washington Post actually reached out to those 17 Nobel Prize winning economists. None of them knew what the Biden administration was talking about. And several of them asked the Biden administration to please stop using their names. They had not seen the Build Back Better plan and could not tell you what was in it. Um, it's just, it's fascinating to watch the gaslighting of the Biden administration. Again, I played you the audio from 1933. The Roosevelt plan to increase inflation in a country at a time of deflation was to pump more money into the economy. Why? It makes the dollar less valuable. It makes your spending power of the dollar buy less. 
and that would spark inflation. When your dollar when your dollar actually can buy you a dollar fifty, that's deflation. The value of the, the, the prices have deflated, so your dollar buys you more. When your dollar buys you only 50 cents, that's inflation because it means that prices have gone up so much that your dollar can't buy as much. And when you dump a bunch of money into the economy, it heats up the economy and it causes inflation. That's what the Biden administration wants to do. Everyone's been warning them. And these 17 economists they're using say, nah, we're not telling you that this will help. In fact, some of them are now saying it's going to make things worse. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.